You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, we've got, believe it or not, only like two weeks left in our series on Matthew. Only took us a little over a year, but we made it. Woo! So many chapters is so much longer than I remember. But today we are going to find ourselves on something that is unique to Matthew. The other Gospels don't add this uh, little tidbit in. And uh, I wanted to kind of hone in on it. But before we get to it, there's a TV show that I, I tried to watch a while back. I really love sci-fi, fantasy, kind of just weird type shows. There's a TV show called The Returned. Anybody ever see it? Yeah, it got canceled. Okay, so me and Tyler. <laughs> Casey, a little bit. Well, the premise of the show was this. What if a bunch of people who had already died came back to life and just went home? <laughs> And that was kind of what it was like. These people would come back, full bodies, completely human, normal, and they would go home and they'd knock on the door and these parents would answer and lo and behold, here's their son who had passed away. And it's almost like horrific to some extent. Like it's amazing. It's this powerful moment, but at the same time, it's almost like horrific, scary. Like I know my son died. Why is he standing in front of me right now? Uh, people uh, who were once dating, uh, the one who had passed away would come back to life and go back and to find uh, uh, this person dating someone else. And it's like, what do you do with this situation? Why is he alive again? What, what happened exactly? Now, the show actually goes with kind of a horror spin, so it really doesn't mix my message at all. But <laughs> that very premise is intriguing, this idea of people coming back to life and just wandering around town, going to find people uh, that they used to know. And it sounds like something straight out of a TV show, but believe it or not, it's also straight out of your Bible. So today, we're going to hone in on Matthew 27, 50 to 54, where we find this plot of the returned played out in Scripture itself. So let me read it to you. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. So Jesus is on the cross. Okay, At this point, he's starting to die. And as he's dying, he cries out with a loud voice and yields up his spirit. And behold, here's what happens right after Jesus, Jesus dies. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom, so God did it. No, if a human was to tear a giant curtain, they would pull at the bottom, right? But it tears from the top. And the earth shook and rocks were split and tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. All the other gospels don't mention this, but in Matthew's account, after Jesus dies, tombs are opened. People, some saints, some holy ones would be the actual literal translation there that's important we'll we'll try to get to why that is but these holy ones these former people following god come to life and start walking around throughout jerusalem hey how are you and you just imagine like if you know these people you're like what do you do with that right it'd be like this tv show played out in front of you like 
How are you alive right now? This makes no sense to me. But it's not just a TV show. Here we have it in Scripture as well. This also isn't the only time people are raised from the dead in Scripture. It actually happens all throughout the Bible. A lot of people think because Jesus is God in flesh that Jesus was the only person who raised anyone from the dead. But the Bible shows even in the Old Testament this happening. 1 Kings 17, there's Elijah who goes and brings a boy back to life. So the Holy Spirit empowers Elijah to do this miracle of raising the dead. This is Old Testament, before Jesus. 2 Kings 4, Elisha, this is Elijah's disciple, Ja versus Sha. You hear the difference, right? Yeah. So Elisha does the same thing. He's kind of following in his uh, predecessor's footsteps, and he raises a boy back to life as well. We're not done with Elisha yet. After Elisha dies, he's thrown into uh, his tomb. And at one point, there's these guys with this dead body, and they just throw it in that tomb as well. Well, when that body lands on Elisha's bones, the Holy Spirit apparently, you know, like almost jolts out of it or something, and brings this guy who landed on Elisha back to life. So you've got three stories throughout First and Second Kings in which the dead are raised. And Jesus, of course, we know, raises the dead as well. We've got Jesus and the widow's son. There's this uh, guy who's already dead and they're having his funeral. Jesus walks over and heals him, brings him back to life. There's Jesus and Jairus' daughter. Uh, Jesus goes up to this little girl, says she's only sleeping as like a way to, well, that's a long story. Says she's only sleeping, but she's dead. And he brings her back to life. There's Jesus and Lazarus, the most famous story in which someone is brought back to life. Jesus raises Lazarus back to life after he's been dead for some time. And then in today's story, the return to Matthew 27, these saints, these holy ones who just get up after Jesus has died. And then they walk around Jerusalem getting to see people and greeting them. So you have them coming back to life. We're not done. It goes beyond Jesus too. Next, Peter raises Dorcas back to life. I know, great name. And then Paul raises Eutychus back to life. So you have stories before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus, showing that raising the dead is not just a Jesus thing, but a Holy Spirit-empowered thing, where people all throughout the Bible get raised back to life. Now, a lot of times today, if you're like me, in the circles you grew up in, you thought all that stuff was a long time ago. It happened in the Bible. It doesn't really happen anymore. But all throughout history, this has been recorded, people being raised from the dead. So if we were to look to the saints, uh, there's uh, Frank Billman in his book, The Supernatural Threat in Methodism, gives us a list of saints who either recorded people being raised from the dead throughout the last 2,000 years or saints who raised the dead themselves. So I know you can all read this. <laughs> But this starts in uh, 130, 130 AD with Irenaeus. Uh, he recorded these miracles of people being raised from the dead. And then it leads all the way up to current times, including John Wesley. We're a free Methodist church, so John Wesley's in our history. John Wesley, if you know the story, this man named Mr. Myrick was dying. He prayed for him and he never died. He got healed. But not healed enough, because then on Christmas Day, a few weeks later, he actually went all the way and died. And so John went and prayed again, and this guy came back to life. So that's more recent history in the 19, 
18, 1800, you know what it is, whatever. I can't read that either. Uh, <laughs> but all these saints right here, from 130 all the way to modern time, these are people who have recorded, we've seen stories or witnessed them ourselves in which the dead have been raised. So it's not just a Bible thing. It continues if we listen to the stories. And there are many stories even today that continue to go on. Uh, I'm going to borrow a bunch from Craig Keener. The reason I'm going to borrow stories from him is because he's a scholar and he likes research. So he doesn't just want to take every story he hears at face value. He wants to either know the people or trust the people who are telling him. So Craig Keener lays out a whole bunch of stories in which people are raised from the dead. He talks about Eloise Jordan, who was diagnosed with throat cancer in 1940. The cancer got so bad that she started to lose her voice. She couldn't really talk anymore. Definitely couldn't talk without pain. And finally, they call Eloise's daughter saying, look, you're going to have to come and say goodbye to your mom. She's getting ready to pass away. So Eloise heads home. And when she gets there, her mom, who's supposed to die, when she walks in the door, she sees her mom dancing around in a pink nightgown joyfully, celebrating. And she asks what happened. And they're like, well, uh, she was dead. We were getting ready to take her to the morgue. And then this pastor came and just prayed and she came back to life. Not just like still with cancer, but completely healed. She went on to live all the way until 1981. She got like 40, 30 to 40 more years between 1949 when she was dying and 1981 when she was actually dying from natural causes. So you see uh, uh, history, uh, in our history, we've got these crazy stories if we pay attention to them. Uh, Dr. Mervin Escobano, he had a patient who died, and this guy was dead for 40 minutes. And this guy was a Christian, so he's like, I'm just going to pray about this. And he prays, and he kind of feels like, I know we've already tried the shock. You know, we tried to bring him back several times. Hasn't worked. He's been dead for 40 minutes now. I've been praying, and I just feel like we need to shock him one more time. And the nurses are like, you can't do that. (laughs) You don't shock someone after they've been dead for 40 minutes. First off, because it won't work. But secondly, because if he does come back to life, he's going to have irreparable brain damage. After three to five minutes without oxygen, your brain gets messed up. So if he comes back, he's going to be like gone. But the doctor's persistent. uh, And so the nurse shocks him. Sure enough, comes right back to life. And uh, has his normal heartbeat going again. There was a professor who had a son. His son was pronounced dead at birth in 1981. And we all know how hard stories like that are. So you can imagine the pain that this family is going through. And a lot of us in that moment, you know, it's just like it feels helpless. But they went ahead and prayed anyways. For 30 minutes, they continued to pray until their baby was raised back to life. A child now holds a a master's degree in science uh, from the University of London. You know, that's like a story of a person right there who who wouldn't have existed, who wouldn't even have a story, wouldn't even have a future. Someone missing from, from the University of London, except for the prayer of the saints lifting this guy up and Jesus bringing this healing. Jean Mabila. I'm not great with some of these names. She uh, had a baby who died in the womb uh, because the umbilical cord got wrapped around her head. So when she was delivered, she was dead and her body was completely gray. 
But uh, uh, people who had helped with the delivery were Christians, and they started to pray. The father went out to buy a coffin, but these Christians just began to pray. And when the father returned, he returned to a baby who was alive, who was delivered dead in the first place. In Nigeria, there was a Ph.D. student that Craig Keener mentions um, who he was in Nigeria in this village. And then some people in the village had lost their son. And rather than like run to the hospital, they brought their son to this Ph.D. student, this Christian, to pray. And he prayed for a few hours and then was able to give this boy back to them alive. And uh, there was this Hindu boy. At the bottom of a pool, a pastor found him at the bottom of the pool, dead. He picks him up, and him and some other Christians begin to go to the doctors. They're like, this, this boy's dead. We found him at the bottom of the pool. Uh, is, is there anything we can do? Is he really gone? Can we still, you know, like shock him, things like that? The doctor just says, no, he's gone. He's dead. There's nothing we can do. So they go to a second doctor, and the second doctor tra- tries to revive him. But he agrees too. like this kid is dead. There's nothing he can do. But this pastor and this nurse, both Christians, begin to pray. And about an hour and a half later, this kid who's dead at the bottom of the pool comes back to life. And he says that when he came back to life, he heard the name of Jesus said out loud. His Hindu parents said like he would have never heard that name before. <laughs> that wasn't anywhere around anything that they would have heard or known. And yet here he is alive because of what Jesus has done through the prayers of these saints. A child in Cameroon, he's six years old. He's been dead for many hours. These parents uh, decide that they're going to bring him to a church after the hospital declared like he's dead. He's not coming back. They take the body and they go to the church. The assistant pastor comes out. and He's like, look, we really don't do anything with this. There's nothing we can do. We're sorry. But the lead pastor comes out. He's like, yeah, I really feel like. I need to pray with them. So he tells his assistant pastor, just why don't you go ahead and go start service, uh, take care of things over that. I'm going to pray with this family for a while. You can imagine the shock on the assistant pastor's face when they come walking in with this girl, this six-month, six-year-old, uh, alive sometime later. <laughs> Albert in the Congo. This one's maybe one of my favorites. <laughs> Albert is a Christian living in uh, uh, the Congo where there's many others who, who are not Christian. He hears a loud noise outside of his home and he goes outside to see what's going on. As he gets out there, uh, he finds a whole crowd. And within the middle of this crowd, there's this girl lying on the ground who's dead with blood smeared in her, her nose, her eyes, her ears, her mouth. She is clearly gone. She's been dead for eight hours. And these people in the Congo have tried taking uh, this girl to traditional healers, you know, like kind of witchcraft type things. Nothing's happened there. They've gone to the small clinic, so the supernatural didn't work for them, so they went to the natural. The clinic couldn't do anything. But they decided, you know what, there's a Christian in this village. Let's go talk to him. So they, they knock on the door. He comes outside, and he's like, oh, well, you should have come to me first. <laughs> I, that's a bold guy just to respond that way, you know. Uh, but... But he begins to pray for this girl who's been dead for eight hours. And a half an hour later, she's brought back to life. Can you imagine praying for half an hour in front of all these people? Eventually you think you give up, but he just keeps going. 
And she's brought back to life. And because of that, many of the people in that crowd came to faith in Jesus because they saw Jesus at work. They were wondering if his God could do anything, and they found out his God can. His God can raise the dead. Many of them were so impressed that when a child died later, they decided, let's do it again. <laughs> let's bring this child over to uh, Albert and see what happens. They get there, they knock on the door. Albert's not home, but his wife is, and his wife's like, well, I can pray if you want. <laughs> like, okay. So she prays, and this child comes back to life again. They're really getting to know, like, these Christians in the Congo who worship this Yahweh, who follow this Jesus, man, they, they've got something that we can't find anywhere else. It's a lot of stories, but I want to give you one more. It's a bit lengthier, and I'm going to read it. This one's found in uh, Jack Deere's book, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. It was a very popular book some time ago. Um, but he tells the story of Mahesh Chavda. Now, if you guys have heard my story where I'm trying... Uh, when I was first starting to understand how the Holy Spirit works, I had to go to a place and catch people as the Holy Spirit came on them. They fell over. If you've heard this story of mine, that was Mahesh who was praying for people. So I was always like behind Mahesh trying to catch these people. He was moving so quick. I couldn't keep up with them. I'm just afraid they're going to fall to the ground and like hurt themselves. Right. But Jack Deere knew Mahesh uh, uh, personally, and he shares a story in this book. And I want to read it to you because this is, this is an incredible story. This is what happens when people continue to pray. Mahesh Chabda, an evangelist who is widely known for healings and miracles, faced a horrible dilemma in the May of 1985. His son, Aaron, had just been born four months prematurely. The doctors gave Mahesh and his wife, Bonnie, no hope for little Aaron's survival. Death was certain and imminent. The physician said that even if he did survive, his brain had no chance to develop properly, that he would be a vegetable. Mahesh had given his word almost a year before this to conduct several crusades in Africa. His wife and baby were in the hospital and he was scheduled to leave for Africa. He felt that the Lord was telling him to go to Africa and keep his commitment, yet his emotions told him to stay. How could he leave Bonnie to bury Aaron alone? Bonnie persuaded Mahesh to go. Your job is where the Lord has called you to go, she said. doesn't matter whether or not you're here, but whether the Lord is here. And I know he is here. If Aaron lives, it will be because God intervenes, not because you are home. Mahesh left Bonnie and walked over to the intensive care unit where his tiny son lay fighting for his life. At this time, Aaron weighed one pound and three ounces. Mahesh slid his hand under Aaron. He was so small that he fit easily within the palm of his father's hand. Mahesh washed Aaron gas for each painful breath with his partially formed lungs. Then he anointed him with oil and prayed over him. Finally, he looked down at his little son and said, Aaron, it looks as though I may not see you again. I want you to know that your daddy loves you. Jesus loves you even more than I do. If I never see you again here on this earth, I know I'll see you in heaven. With that goodbye, he turned and left for the airport. Weeks later, when Mahesh had finished the crusades in Zambia, he was finally able to reach Bonnie by phone, but only once. Miraculously, Aaron was still clinging to life. 
Mahesh got on a plane for Zaire and landed in the capital city of Kinshasa on Sunday, June 9, 1985. Mahesh did not know the local organizers of the crusade in Kinshasa, and he had received no word about the preparation for the meetings. He expected a small crowd of 700 to 800 people. I love how that's a small crowd, right? (laughs) On Monday morning at the leaders' meeting, 2,300 people showed up. At the close of the meeting, an elderly woman whose body was covered with cancerous tumors was instantly healed in front of everyone. The tumors had completely disappeared. The news of this miraculous healing spread like a forest fire in an August drought. That evening, 100,000 people came to the meeting. They came with every disease imaginable. Some were even brought in wheelbarrows. That night, so many people were healed that even witches and sorcerers who had come to disrupt the meeting were converted, publicly repenting and declaring their faith in Jesus. By Wednesday, June 12th, the morning crowd had swelled to 30,000. That morning, Mulumba Manikai was standing in the crowd, and although his heart had been crushed, he was listening to Mahesh intently. Unlike most of his neighbors in Lumbai Street and the Mikando section of Kinshasa, Mulamba and his family were Christians. When Mulamba had returned home from the meeting on Tuesday, he found his six-year-old son, Kachini, paralyzed and comatose. Mulamba and his older brother, Kuamba, carried the little boy to the medical facility at Mulamba's company. He was diagnosed with cerebral malaria. And Mulumba was told to take his son to the Mikando Clinic for treatment. At 4 o'clock a.m. on Wednesday morning, as they neared the Mikando Clinic, the six-year-old Kachini had a spasm and stopped breathing. Then his heart stopped beating, and he died in his father's arms. Inside the clinic, a physician gave the boy an injection and tried to revive him, but it was useless. Your son is dead, the doctor told Mulumba. I can do nothing for him. You must take him to Mama Yimo Hospital in Kinshasa and get a death certificate to bury him. When they brought the body to the hospital, the boy was again pronounced dead. Mulumba left his son's body at the hospital with Kuumba so that he could go borrow money to buy a burial permit. As he stepped into the street, Mulumba began to pray that the Lord would raise his son from the dead if it would bring glory to God. Just as he remembered the story of Peter raising Dorcas from the dead, Mulumba heard God speak these words, Why are you weeping? My servant is in the city. Go to him. Mulumba knew the Lord was referring to Mahesh. He rushed to Kasavubu Square where Mahesh was preaching to 30,000 people. Mahesh was just concluding his message. At exactly 12 o'clock noon, eight hours after Kachini had died, Mahesh stepped back from the microphone. Suddenly, Mahesh felt as if God had taken him into another realm. He was no longer aware of the throngs of people. He was enveloped in silence. The gentle voice of the Holy Spirit spoke clearly and unmistakably. There is a man here whose son died this morning. Invite him to come forward. I want to do something wonderful for him. Mahesh spoke these exact words to the audience. Mulumba ran forward shouting, it is I, it is I. Immediately, Mahesh placed his hands on Mulumba's head and prayed, Lord Jesus, in your name, I bind the powers of darkness and death that are at work in this man's son, and I ask you to send your spirit of resurrection to bring him back to life. The crowd parted as Mulumba turned and began running to the hospital. 
Here's what happened at the hospital at 12 o'clock noon, June 12th, 1985, while Mahesh was praying over Mulumba at Kasavabu Square. Back at Mama Yimo Hospital, Kuwamba was praying, was holding the body of his brother's son in his arms. At noon, he felt the body move, and then the boy sneezed. Katshini sat up and asked for food. Then he began to call for his father. God had brought him back from the dead. Needless to say, the hospital was in an uproar. Mulumba walked into the room as Katshini was calling for his father. Mulumba grabbed his son and began to shout praises to God in the hospital room that just a few minutes earlier had served as a morgue for his son's lifeless body. News of this great miracle spread throughout the city, and that weekend over 200,000 came in the evening to hear the gospel. Many were saved and healed. I've seen a copy of the death death notification for Katshini Mankai and its official seal and signed by Iwanga Mbum. A skeptic might claim that Katshini's death had been misdiagnosed and that he was only in a coma. However, this would not explain the timing of the revelation that a man's son had died and that God was going to do something for him, given to Mahesh eight hours later and the boy's immediate recovery. I know Mahesh Chavda personally, and I'm convinced of his integrity and the validity of his ministry. But so are 30,000 residents of Kinshasa Zare who witnessed the miraculous events that night. Mulamba's brother, Kuamba, became a Christian after witnessing the power of God that morning. The Manikai family still lives at 26 Lumbai Street in Kinshasa. God rewarded Mahesh for his faithfulness in two ways. First, he let him participate in the miraculous raising from the dead. Second, God remembered Mahesh's little Aaron and completely healed him. Today, Aaron Chavda is a healthy, normal eight-year-old. It's a lot of... (laughs) So a lot of stories of healings and uh, a lot of stories of healings and being raised from the dead in there, which being raised from the dead is a healing, right? It's like the ultimate healing. That being said, we see all throughout the Bible that God has the power to do anything. He can raise the dead. Jesus wasn't even worried about it. He knew Lazarus was dying or had died, and he took his time getting to Lazarus. Why? Because he knew he had the power to raise the dead. (laughs) And so often, you know, we walk around with very little faith that God can step in and do anything. And so we don't we don't practice what he calls us to. But these stories, these miracles, as rare as they are, you know, it doesn't happen super often or anything because death is very much a way of this world. Uh, a lot of people get super like gung-ho on these kind of stories. and They're like, we will stop death at all costs. But you can't. Only God can do that. And he does it in the end times when he throws death into the lake of fire and kills death itself. See, here's the thing. With all these people that we've seen raised from the dead in the Bible, um, they came back to life. But they still had to face death again. You realize that? Like Lazarus was raised back to life, which is cool, but he still died again, which is unfortunate to have to go through that twice, I'm sure. But here's part of the story that Matthew's trying to communicate in the story that we're told today. There is something more ahead of us. 
Because when Jesus dies and is resurrected, this isn't just like a Jesus died, came back to life, and now he's going to die again. No, when Jesus died and was resurrected, he was brought into a new resurrected body. That body will never die. It's a body that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that ahead of us is resurrection. And I know you've heard me say this a hundred times before. But the story the church always says is we just want to save people so they, when they die, they go to heaven. That is not the gospel. Heaven, spiritual heaven, is a truncated gospel if that's all we're doing. Like, we want you to die and go to heaven. That's the midway point. Revelation, what Paul was talking about, is resurrection. And resurrection is not being spiritual beings in heaven. Resurrection so when we die, we go to heaven, but eventually when the world is made right with the new heavens and new earth, we put on new immortal and perishable bodies and we live on forever in those bodies in the new heaven and new earth. So when Jesus dies and these people are brought back to life, it leaves us in Matthew to ask a lot of questions. Were these people just raised back to life and then went back to their homes among their families? Or... Were these people maybe like a first fruits of resurrected just as Jesus came back into a resurrected body that wouldn't die? Did these people come back into resurrected bodies and then just went to heaven? Or is Matthew, uh, is Matthew telling that story, not saying like this actually happened? Is he trying to tell us like this is what is coming and it comes with Jesus's death as we accept his death? He brings us into the resurrected life. Whatever the case may be, Matthew is loud and clear. Resurrection is ahead of us. Jesus has the power over death. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we come to him, we are brought in to that new resurrected place. Christians go on forever. Because they have the antidote to death. They have Jesus himself. That includes right now. We can pray for people and we might see the miracle. But it especially includes later when God makes all things new, including us. And that's that's part of the power of uh, Matthew saying the saints came back. That word right there, hagios, that's a powerful word. The literal translate. It's unfortunate that your Bibles almost always translate hagios as saints, because what that actually is literally is holy ones. And if you looked at the whole Bible, and especially the Bible that your Bible authors were reading at the time, Hagios, these holy ones, these are like angels, spiritual beings. The people who are holy ones in the Old Testament were a part of the divine council. God gave them the ability to rule and make decisions and work with God and co-labor with God and live in God's presence So right here, when Matthew's talking about these saints, he's using powerful language. These saints will be these resurrected ones who will join with God's holy council. So with all that being said, we're going to take some time to worship, to think about uh, resurrection life and just uh, allow God to come. I invite you in this time to process... uh, uh, the band can come up. I invite you in this time to process this message in whatever kind of way that, that you need to. So for some of you, it may be like dwelling on God's power. For some of you, it may be dwelling on the idea of resurrection life ahead of us and what that means for us. For some of you, 
Um, it may be saying, wow, I want that God. I want that Jesus. He has the power. And just like these people in the Congo who are like, I want to I wanna follow this God now because he actually can do something. If that's you, the altar is open to you. Just come and maybe for the first time in your life, make that decision to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. To leave all your other gods, all your other idols behind and allow God to be the one who you are following. Allow Jesus, the resurrection maker, the antidote to death, to be the one that you say, I, I claim allegiance to him and him alone. If our prayer team's available, they'll be in the back corner. These may be some things you need prayer for. If you are allergic to arugula and it gives you even like a cheek rash, there's prayer for you tonight. Um, if you have a relationship with a mother named Karen and her heart is broken over something, there's prayer for you tonight. If there's pain in your neck when you turn right, there's prayer for you tonight. Uh, and if you're working on a writing project, uh, there's prayer for you in that tonight as well. So those are just some specifics. You can go get prayer for whatever you want. Uh, but those might be some that if it's you, take it. If not, that's fine too. So let's take some time and worship. You take on whatever posture you like as we worship, but would you please start by standing with us? Thanks.